Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 13 of the Pitch to Contact podcast, lucky number 13. I'm honestly surprised we made it this long, but I'm your host, Ben Jones, and I'm joined by my co-host, John Cuff from Pitcher List. John, how are you doing today? Uh, Well, we're recording this right after the Twins game, and I thought I was going to be doing really well. Um, and now I'm wondering, <laughs> why is Emilio Pagan still on this baseball team? But I think looking at the bullpen, uh, the answer is pretty obvious. There's literally no one who can replace him. Yeah, if you had to power rank every relief pitcher currently on an MLB roster, where would you put Emilio Pagan on your priority for coming into the eighth inning of a two-run game? Uh, can I say, like, below last? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if he's literally last. I think even with the Twins, I probably would have still gone to Pagan over Winder in that scenario, which were oh, pretty much sure. your only options yeah. at that point in the game. But still, not not a great ending to the week, despite some positive signs against the Blue Jays. Yeah, and that's uh, that's all right because we're still first in the AL Central. <laughs> Boy, are we! But before we get to the game, some quick programming reminders. So uh, remember, you can follow our podcast on Twitter at Twins Talk Pod. Make sure that you subscribe uh, to the plat- to your podcast platform of choice uh, to make sure you get your new podcasts in your feed every single Monday morning. Uh, and then if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do so as well. Myself at Ben Jones underscore five and John at the John Cup. All right. Now let's get into the games. This week we'll be going over the Rays and the Blue Jays series. The very, very bad that happened against the Rays. The pretty good, all things considered, that happened against the Blue Jays uh, and everything in between. So real quick, we'll go over the weekly snapshot. The Twins went two and four, lost all three to the Rays and then lost three 
uh, or won two out of three against the Blue Jays, had a good chance to win the third, but blew it there at the end. We'll talk about the specifics that went into that. But as John mentioned, they're 33 and 33, which isn't great, but still first in the AL Central, still the only AL Central team without a losing record. And the Guardians are the closest team to us at one and a half back. They're still three games under 500 after a bit of a rough game, rough week for them as well, uh, struggling to pitch on the opposite side and actually starting to hit. So a little, little bit of an interesting switch there for the Guardians this week. Uh, but again, all things considered, still in first place, still worse than I think every single AL East team, but still in first place. That's all you can ask for. Um Actually, I think the Red Sox... Well, actually, I don't know if the Red Sox game is over yet. Actually, no, they play tonight. So they're currently 32-33. and 33. They could finish the night worse than the Twins. And we could well, be better than one AL East team. One AL East team. <laughs> yeah. Here's the thing with the standings, and we're going to talk about this more a little bit later, but I just feel like it very much eats into like every Twins fans like insecurity of, oh, the Twins aren't getting their respect. They're not getting their respect. You know, they're, yeah. they're a first place team. Well, they're not getting their respect because the whole division is trash. Yeah. In the past, you had a little bit more of a gripe, you could argue. But this year, it, it's just, it's not the same. Everybody knows it's not the same. Yeah. We are firmly behind the NL Central in the race to the worst division in the league, um, which is, you know, pretty impressive considering that we don't even have the worst team in, in the league. Uh, Oakland is by far the worst team in the league at 16 and 50, but the Royals are close behind them at 18 and 47. So, <laughs> you know, um, this it's actually kind of incredible how, how kind of grouped together, actually Cleveland, the White Sox and the Detroit are, um, they're not all terrible teams. You know, I think the, the Tigers are only about five and a half, I think games back of the twins right now. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just not a pretty division. Yeah. Well, let's get into uh, the games against the AL East team, starting with the dominant first place Rays and a very forgettable series, or Rays and a very forgettable series for the Twins. Yeah, uh, this was going to be a fun clash of basically what happens when one of the best hitting teams in baseball goes against one of the best pitching teams in baseball. And game one was not uh, the way he wanted to start. It was a 7-0 loss. Louis Varlin was on the bump. Six innings, six hits, uh, gave up seven earned runs, uh, four walks, five strikeouts, and two hits. Um, after a really good start against Houston, Varlin basically struggled to get anything going with his secondaries in this one. Um, the cutter and the changeup were just not doing anything. Uh, the only encouraging thing was that the fastball was actually really, really solid. Um, that's kind of been his go-to pitch this season. And it got him, you know, five strikeouts in this one through six innings, which is pretty decent against, you know, a tough team like the Rays. Um, the problem with the cutter was that he just couldn't get it to uh, go for strikes. Ended up walking four guys, which is pretty characteristic for Varlin, actually. He's a pretty solid command guy. Um, doesn't walk a lot of walk, walk a lot of batters. Um, and so this is probably more of a one-off than anything indicative of, you know, a potential uh, failure for, for Varlin. Obviously, you're going up against one of the best offenses. It's it's going to be a tough matchup regardless. And giving them four free passes is not going to help at all. Um, and then, you know, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but he actually did okay in his start against the Blue Jays on Sunday. So, um, you know, Varlin is, uh, you know, still chugging along and being a really solid number five starter for this team. Yeah, like you said, he wasn't spectacular, but he still pitched the six innings mostly because by the time you got to the six, the Twins were pretty much out of it anyway. Yep. And so they're like, yeah, I'll just go back out there. The pitch count was okay, and they kind of just needed someone to absorb innings. And I know, you know as the Twins are evaluating uh, their players as they go throughout 
you know, who to promote, who to put in big situations, everything like that. You know, they take into account the situation where you gave up the runs. And so I don't think they'll necessarily hold that last inning against Louie all that much. Yeah. And uh, ultimately he helped save the bullpen a little bit, which is nice. So uh, yeah, good for Varlin. Um, with the bats uh, in a 7-0 loss, really nothing to talk about. Four hits, 12 strikeouts. Um, Eflin, who was the opposing pitcher, was on one. His curveball was really, really good. If you go back and look at his strikeouts, like that pitch, man, is a little disgusting. And Twins were whiffing off it, whiffing on it the entire day. Uh, maybe the only bright spot was that Correa had a 109 mile power double off the wall. Um, I was actually looking at his metrics this year. He's actually not hitting the ball as hard uh, as often as he has in the past. His hard contact percentage has gone down. Um, and that's kind of been one of the struggles with him is that he's just, even though he hits the ball really hard, he's a pretty good max exit velocity number. Um, it, he's just not doing it as consistently this season. And so it was good to at least see him, you know, get a double in this one and a hard hit ball. Uh, but uh, he also finished with three strikeouts. So there's that. Yeah, I think not so much in this series, but especially against the Blue Jays, we really start to started to see Correa turn things around and hopefully for good. You know, we kind of saw that last year after a rough stretch in the beginning of the season. This one's gone on a lot longer, obviously. Mm-hmm. But if he can get going, if the rest of the lineup can get a little more healthy, you know, you're taking better at bats like we saw against the Blue Jays. You'll be in a good spot. But the main thing, again, is you need Correa in the middle of the lineup, driving in runs, hitting balls hard. So a good sign here that he got the one even with the three strikeouts. Yeah. Uh, moving on to the second game, it was a 2-1 loss. Pablo Lopez started for the Twins with seven innings, five hits, one earned run, one walk, and six strikeouts. Honestly, much better command from Lopez this start. After a couple shaky ones, the stuff was really, really good too. The slide ball and Carter were curveball were both getting strikes, um, and he was really finding you know a groove with those pitches. Um, Changeup was was decent as well, even though the metrics didn't look that great on it. Um, he did give up three hits on the on the changeup, but it was playing nicely with all his other pitches. The only run he gave up was a solo homer from Isak Paredes. So honestly, a really stellar outing from Pablo Lopez after a couple duds from him. Yeah, definitely good to see good Pablo back, uh, especially against the lineup as good as the Rays are. Yeah, uh, of course, then in the bats, uh, only one run here. And of course, the annoying thing was that the Rays decided to go with a bullpen game. So normally you think, OK, bullpen game, maybe the pitcher quality isn't as great because you're facing a bunch of relievers. But now it's the Rays and their bullpen's really solid. Um the nice thing was that the Twins did limit the strikeouts. They were earning walks, but they were only one for six with runners in scoring position. They left they left eight men on base. Um, and, you know, in classic Twins fashion, they did get the bases loaded with one out in the eighth. Uh, Ryan Jeffers, though, ended up grounding into a double play on a sharply hit ground to the third baseman, who I believe was Paredes. Um, it was actually kind of impressive from Tampa Bay. Like, they, they got the double play basically, like, like, by a couple inches like it was super close um but uh solid for them of course uh they ended up winning in the next inning with a walk-off homer from randy rosarena off yon duran uh looking again though at the pitch it wasn't that bad it was low it was a low and outside splitter um you know probably located as well as duran wanted it to be um and i was just looking at some advanced metrics afterwards that we have a pitcher list and basically you know an average pitcher would not have taken that that pitch for a hit um, it wouldn't have resulted in a hit. Most likely would have been a strike, but Randy Rosarena is just that good. Yeah. One thing that was interesting with that pitch too, off of the splitter. So Randy Rosarena, 
uh, I believe is slugging like 850 against off-speed pitches. Now, granted, it's a Duran splitter, so it's coming in at 99 to 100. Right. Yeah. But, <laughs> so it doesn't exactly play just like an off-speed spit, off-speed pitch, but it was an interesting choice there to go with that when, you know, that's kind of the very clear scouting report on him is pump the heat in there when you have, you know, the fastball as good as Duran's is too. Mm-hmm. It was a little surprising to see that pitch in that scenario. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but again, Duran makes one mistake. You can't blame him. It, it wasn't even a mistake. Actually, the funny That's part true. was his first pitch was a mistake. It was a splitter yeah. middle middle, and and a Rosarena fouled that off. So I think he was thinking, "Hey, he maybe he's a little late. Maybe I can throw this again in a better location." Um, you know, best on best, and Randy won that battle. Yeah, uh, like I was saying, there, there's nothing to fault Duran in this scenario. He's the best pitcher on the Twins, probably, in a team full of good pitchers. Uh, the rest of the bullpen, not so much, but the starters especially. And so he made one good pitch, and Rosarena made one better swing. So nothing yeah. you can do. Of course, that's we wouldn't have to worry about this whole conversation if the Twins just did something with runners in scoring position. Yeah. That's, uh, that's life as a Twins fan this season, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Uh, game three then was a 4-2 loss, uh, allowing the Rays to sweep. Uh, Bailey Ober started with 5.1 innings, three hits, three earned runs, two walks, and seven strikeouts. Uh, within those innings, though, he did have four shutout innings. The only blemish was the fourth inning where the Rays managed a, a two-out rally. Uh, Ober walked a Rosarena, then Luke Rayleigh tripled to bring in a Rosarena, and then Harold Ramirez finished it off with a homer. Um, so three runs in that inning. Then he also had an honored run in the sixth after he left. Uh, Wander Franco scored on a throwing er- error from uh, Griffin Jacks. It was kind of weird. I don't, I don't know if you saw this play, but uh, Jacks was, you know, in his motion. And then he saw Franco basically like halfway between second and third. He's like, oh, shoot, I could, I, I could still have a pitch out. Like he just threw it to third. But the problem was. Royce Lewis was over there, I think, and it looked like he wasn't really paying attention to what was going on because he got to the bag late. Um, and, you know, but so and so Griffin Jax's uh, throw over to the third ended up, um, you know, getting past him. And then Franco just took home after that. Yeah, it, it was definitely a weird play. They caught Franco a couple times, too, in this series. That yep. one, obviously, and then mm-hmm. before they caught him between first and second in a, uh, an earlier game. And so, you know, that that's clearly the scouting report on the Rays. They're going to run a lot. And so you, you got to be on the lookout for that. It's a little disappointing that, you know, there's a little bit of a mistake on Jax and on Lewis, where obviously Lewis has shifted over there, but mm-hmm. you have to still be watching um, the runner on second. And that's probably a little bit him just learning third, right? He's hasn't played that many games at third base. He's been a right. shortstop his entire life. Yeah. And so that hasn't really been something he's had to worry about. Yeah. He's, he's never really been a point where that responsibility is for him to get to the bag. So, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a good point uh, for Ober back to Ober though. His, his four seamer and changeup combo was doing well. That's, you know, his bread and butter. It's really solid pitch separation. And then kind of looking at his season stats, it's actually kind of impressive. He's top 20 among qualified pitchers in ERA and in whip, uh, which is, you know, really solid for a guy who is essentially the number four starter on our team. Um, His advanced metrics are really good too. He's limiting hard contact. Well, he's getting guys to whiff. Um, The stuff is pretty solid. Um, So yeah, really, really good performance from Ober, all things considered. Uh, you know, giving giving the team a chance to win here, um, and uh, yeah, can't can't knock seven strikeouts in in this start. Yeah, definitely. I think 
this is getting way out ahead of where we are right now, but if the twins make the postseason, I'll be very curious to see how they structure their postseason rotation who are, mm-hmm. you know, the four guys they really rely on. Yeah. I mean, imagine, I imagine we know the names of Lopez, Gray, Ryan, and Ober, mm-hmm. but it's just what order do they go in? Does it depend on matchups? So they just say, Hey, Ryan's been the best this year. Let's go with him. Just right. something interesting to think about if we get there, where you have these four guys who they're a little streaky, they go up and down at, but in any given game, any of them can dominate a lineup. And right. so, uh, it'll be interesting to see what they go with with that decision. Right. Of course, in postseason play, you need some runs, and the Twins <laughs> just were not able to provide that. This one, uh, they pretty much just couldn't get on base. They only had six hits. They didn't get a single walk. Uh, Ronnie Chirinos was pitching, and he's kind of a kind of an unknown. This was his second start of the season. Uh, Kirloff and Correa both actually managed two hits in the game, but of course, there was just no one to bat in when they uh, when they got those hits. Uh, Correa and both Michael A. Taylor had solo homers. Those were the two runs came from. But like I said, no one's on base. So even though they get the homers, um, they couldn't. We're, they weren't really able to capitalize more on on those hits. Yeah, uh, Willie Castro led off in this game. So that about tells you everything you didn't know about the offense right now. Yeah, it's it's not in a good state. Um, and we'll talk about that with the injuries coming up. All right, let's take a quick break, and then we'll be back to talk about the Blue Jays series. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. All right, we are back. Let's start talking about the Blue Jays. Got a couple wins in this series, and the offense started to come to life. So let's start with game one. Yeah, 3-2 victory here. Uh, Extra innings, fun right there. Sonny Gray, though, was the starter. Five innings, five hits, one and run, two walks, five strikeouts. Um, A really stalled start from Sonny Gray. Nothing super spectacular here. You know, nothing like those 10 strikeout games that he was having earlier in the season. But he felt comfortable with all his pitches. He was confident throwing them for strikes. Um, They were doing, you know, well for him to kind of stay in the game and, and be productive. The, the nice thing here, actually, is that his slider has been really solid the past few games in getting whiffs. You know, that that pitch has been kind of in and out for him this season as he's, as he's been developing it more and more. But it was good to see that he was uh, feeling it again tonight. Of course, with, with Sonny, kind of the main things are his curveball and his slider. If those things are both working, he's able to play off those fastballs a little bit better and turn in, you know, a really electric start. But, you know, in this case, you only give up one and run in five innings. That's I think that's a really good uh, thing to get from your starter. Yeah, a couple of interesting things here. Sonny was pulled after how many pitches? It wasn't too many. 76 pitches. Yeah. Um, but in that last inning, he started to go through the third time. And we saw the struggles that we've really seen from Sonny Gray's last three or four starts. So third time through the order, he's getting hit around pretty hard. And so he got out of a jam in that fifth inning. And then they just decided to pull the plug and, you know, 
do everything you can to get the win, get out of the losing streak and uh, yeah, make sure to secure the victory. Yeah. Um, the, the thing here is we'll, we'll talk about how this kind of affects game three in a little bit, but yeah. um, pulling Sonny in the fifth also meant then that you had to send out uh, well, the twins ended up sending out four relievers. Um, and like I mentioned, this game went to extra. So it's four relievers with increased workload and that ended up affecting kind of how game three ended up going, which we'll talk in a little bit. Um, but the big, big story here, of course, was that, um, you know, they, they snapped this losing streak uh, that they had. Uh, I think it was a five game losing streak. Yep. They five. Give it, yep. Two against the Guardians and then obviously got swept by the Rays. Um, and so, you know, they're really hunting for a win here. Uh, Michael A. Taylor with his second homer in as many games. Um, he also had the game winning sacrifice fly in the 10th to bring in Ryan Jeffers. So uh, he's been actually having a really solid week. And I think, you know, we can't always expect uh, Taylor to contribute in, in main ways. There's a reason why he's the number nine hitter usually on this team. But when he does good things, it's it's always uh, it's always fun to see. Uh, Royce Lewis had a four four night. Um, he actually had been struggling a little bit with a 182 average and a 576 OPS through eight games, so a small sample size. Uh, but the four-hit night, of course, then ended up boosting his average to 270 <laughs> with a 729 OPS. So gotta love, gotta love how the how swingy stats are early in the in the season. Yeah, if you uh if you've been watching the broadcast, they've had Trevor Plouffe on with Morneau and Bramer for this Blue Jay series. And he was talking a lot about how players just, you know, you look up on the Jumbotron, you see the numbers by your name. And so it's just nice to have something that looks good. Talked oh, about sure. that with Royce Lewis getting that number up. And they talked about it with Carlos Correa too this weekend, getting that OPS over seven hundred, uh, finally after struggling down there for a while. And so just seeing a better number out there can help you mentally. And so if nothing else, hopefully it helps Royce with that. But yeah, it's just Classic small sample size. It's important to remember that, you know, he's eight games into a season. Everybody else is a few months into their season. Yep. So the thing with the relievers, which I'll expand on a little bit more. So we ended up pitching or sending out Moran, Brock Stewart, Griffin Jacks, and uh, Johan Duran. Um, the big things here was that Brock Stewart came in the seventh, I believe. He ended up pitching 24 innings, uh, sorry, not 24 pitches. He threw 24 pitches, not 24 innings. Um, he'd definitely be out of the season by that point. Yeah. So, um, and then Duran came in the ninth and obviously finished the 10th as well, getting a two-inning win. Uh, but he pitched 38 pitches. So both of those guys uh, were essentially out of commission for the next two games. Uh, Brock Stewart did come in the second game and threw one pitch, but essentially was he was essentially was out for, for both both games. So this was kind of a one where the, the twins really just put it pushing all their chips. They're like, we got to, we got to get, we want to get this win. Um, it's a close game, obviously two, two. Uh, and Duran impressively enough in that two inning win, um, he gave up two walks. One of them was an intentional walk to Vlad. So really only one walk Yeah, did hit a guy. So he, he had some situations where people were on the bases, uh, but he still had enough stuff to shut down the Jays office uh, offense, finished with two strikeouts. Uh, was pretty elite in helping the Twins shut down that uh, vaunted Blue Jays offense. Yeah, you could really see the tw the Twins were desperate for the win, right? They wanted to break the losing streak, get some good vibes going. And that's the main reason I think they threw uh, Duran out there for those two innings because the 37 pitches isn't all that many, but 30, 
four of them were high stress, high leverage innings because guys got on base because he hit Espinal, he walked a couple guys. And so there were guys in scoring position in a one run game or in a tied game the whole time he was out there. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and even the fact that they got the win was pretty amazing. They basically only got it because Brandon Belt lined a ball 105 miles an hour right at Willie Castro at second base to send it to extras. He hits it a foot in either direction and the Blue Jays walk off in the ninth instead got a couple of bounces that went the twins way and they got the win. But yeah, Duran was pretty much completely unavailable the rest of the series, uh, which, you know, Rocco knew when he made that decision to put him out there for two innings. And I think it was worth it just to break the streak and get it done. Yeah. Well, the good vibes kept going because game two was a nine, four victory. Joe Ryan was a starter with six innings, six hits, three earned runs, one walk and four strikeouts. Uh, He honestly struggled with all his pitches, but was able to limit the damage for, you know, a quality start. With Ryan, the main story is just, you know, if the fastball is not working um, like it was on Saturday, it, it wasn't like bad for, for the, but it was bad in terms of, you know, Ryan's ability for a guy who throws that fastball that much. You need to get more strikes with it. And he just wasn't seeing those same numbers. The secondaries just need to be better uh, in general when the fastball is bad. And the secondaries were about where they usually are for Ryan. So it, it just didn't help overall. That's, you know, that's where you get the 300 runs. Of course, it didn't matter because the Twins provided run support in another Ryan start. Uh, in his 13 starts this season, the Twins have scored four runs eight times, which is incredible for a team that like is also terrible at just scoring runs in general. Yeah, they're averaging, um, what, like three and a half a game or something like that? Yeah, so. it's just brutal. Uh, it's not fun. Like they, I think they've had, like what, 20-ish games where they've yeah. only scored like two runs or two runs or less. So, you know, just uh, classic Twins. Of course, the nice thing here, I guess, you know, to maybe dispel some of that, you know, myth about Ryan getting all this run support was that they didn't really score uh, the runs until Ryan left the game. So, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of that superstition, if you have that, um, you, that can dispel it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it, it was an interesting game from Joe Ryan. He clearly wasn't at his best, but um, the offense really turned things around here, mostly thanks to Carlos Correa. Yeah, he uh, had a grand slam, which is uh, the first for the Twins this season, despite the, all the times that they've managed to get into a bases-loaded situation. And then uh, Max Kepler had a three-run homer basically immediately after the Correa grand slam. So uh, good for both those guys to kind of get uh, out of their, their slumps. Obviously, Correa's had like a, a decent week this, this week. Uh, Kepler had been just awful. Uh, awful. So, you know, getting a little bit of the, the monkey off the back is nice. Uh, of course, it was helped here by the fact that the Blue Jays had a bullpen game because uh, the guy who probably was scheduled to start, Alec Manoa, got sent down to rookie league because he's just been terrible. Uh, so, you know, the Twins were able to, you know, do stuff. Uh, they did stuff late, right? This Both these homers from Korea and Kepler were in the eighth inning. Uh, Larnick also added a solo homer in the sixth. Um, of course, the best thing about this was, though, even in a 9-4 victory, even with 12 hits, they still managed to get a season-high 17 strikeouts because the Twins are the Twins. 17. They struck out seven times against Trevor Richards. Yeah. I don't know who he is, but I don't imagine he's that good. Yeah, those three innings uh, from Trevor Richards were elite. <laughs> uh, anyway, but yeah, it, it was it was good to see the Grand Slam. It was awesome that Kevler hit one too. Uh, maybe depending on your feelings on Kepler, I personally kind of wish he didn't hit it because I'm ready for him to be out of the lineup. It's quite literally the only good thing he's done since he's been off the injured list yes, is that yeah. home run. Yeah. And it wasn't really even necessary. It was nice, but not necessary. Yeah. And so 
maybe it's good, maybe it's bad. I don't know. It's it's always good to get runs, but I'm not convinced that Kepler doing anything positive is good for the Twins long term because I feel like the <laughs> Twins would be better to just get him out of the lineup. So yeah, yeah. And what uh, one other thing with this? One other thing with this is that Correa did hit the home run, the grand slam. But as Dan Hayes of the Athletic noted, the Twins are still hitless with the bases loaded and no outs this year. 0 for sure. 13 with uh, three walks, or I think it's two walks, three sack flies. So yeah, uh, it was uh, it was actually not even that hard of a hit. I think it was only like a hundred miles off the bat, so it like could have could have not been a homer. Yeah, um, but yeah, good good for at least them to get some runs. It is kind of annoying though. Sometimes it just feels like they score in bunches and then they just. Uh, uh, take their foot off the gas for the next few games. However, they did not take the foot off the gas for game three. Trying to finish out the sweep, it ended up in a 7-6 loss. Of course, Louis Varland was the pitcher, 4.2 innings with six hits, four earned runs, two walks, and six strikeouts. Both the fastball and the cutter were on point. Um, he earned 24 combined called strikes and whiffs uh, on those pitches. Uh, really solid um, in his velocity. Looked pretty good. Uh, he just couldn't close out the fifth. Um, there were some issues here with team defense. Um, Edward Julian was the second baseman for this game, and he had a couple tough plays, um, including one in the fifth where he flipped the ball over to Correa, but he kind of struggled with transferring it to to his uh, throwing hand, and so that ended up maybe getting to Correa a little bit late. Correa ended up rushing uh, and then got a throwing error out at first, which prevented basically the double play that could have finished that inning. Uh, after that, then Varlin kind of unraveled a little bit and then ended up giving a homer up to Matt Chabin after he hung a slider kind of just middle middle. So um, it could have been a lot better for Varlin. This could have been a, a five inning one run performance, uh, but just, you know, the way that sometimes it went, uh, it ends up being a little bit, a little bit poor when you look at just the box scores. Yeah, with uh, Polanco on the injured list, Julian's pretty much going to be out there every day at second base. And so he's going to have every chance to make all those plays and improve on his defense. And frankly, even if he doesn't, he's going to be out there. And so um, in the couple games he's been back, there's been, you know, maybe not errors necessarily, but little things like that, messing up the transfer, leading to the missed throw by Correa that he's going to need to get tightened up. But frankly, for the Twins at this point, the offense he provides, because the bat has been there every time he's been in the big leagues. The main issue has been his defense. Yeah. And so with the offense where it's at, even when with Polanco healthy, I would be arguing for Julian getting some more regular at-bats for the Twins. I think, yeah, just to get more reps um, in general. I was So I was listening to the radio broadcast on this one, and Paul Molder was uh, on the call with Corey Provis. And yeah. um, he was, they were talking about, you know, what does Julian need to do to improve on defense? And uh, Molly was basically saying, you know, he just needs more reps there. Like, it looks like he's pushing, like he's capable of making these plays for the most part. You know, like he's not an elite second baseman, but the twins are putting him, you know, lining him up in the infield so that he can make these plays. Right. They're understanding yeah. he's got a little bit of a range disadvantage. His arms not as great. Um, and so, you know, let's put him in spots that where he's able to get to get to these uh, hard hits. And so. Molly was talking about, yeah, like, you know, he rushed the transfer just a little bit. And then there was the Dalton Varsho bunt where mm, yeah. he was basically saying like, hey, like it, it, we get that you're a rookie, Julian, but maybe there should have been a little bit of anticipation that this could happen, right? That yeah. that that he was going to bunt and, you know, maybe should have charged a little bit earlier and, and recognized what was happening uh, on an infield hit. So just a couple of things, so I think for him to tighten up again, he's 
he's played second base like throughout you know his both his college career and, and in the in the minors as well but uh, you know playing at a major league speed is just a little bit different so you know hopefully they yeah. take advantage of you know Polanco being out as kind of a good learning experience for Julian well, and in the minors, he's kind of bounced all over. They tried him at third. They tried him at left. They tried him at second. He he's played all these different positions because he's not a good defender at any of them. It's very similar to Luis Arias, right? Where yep. they they moved him around not because they're like, oh, well, this is what we need. This you know we can put him out here. It's mostly mm-hmm. because yeah, we kind of need it. Mostly we want the bat in the lineup, and we don't know where he's going to hurt us the least amount. Right. Uh, this year, he Julian's played exclusively second base, both for the Twins and uh, for the Saints at AAA. Mm-hmm. And so that's where he's going to be playing, at least this year. I think if they had any plans on him playing other places uh, on the field this year, he would have gotten some reps there at this point, mm-hmm. uh, kind of like we saw with Royce Lewis at third. And so um, he's going to play at second. He's either going to make the plays or he's not at this point. He, I, I've actually been fairly impressed with the range and you know his ability yeah. to get stops, all mm-hmm. things considered. Yep. He's looked fairly impressive. He stopped the ball, but it's always the throws that have been the issue yeah. so far. He's I, he, like, this is not the first time that he struggled on transfers. You know, he, like, yeah. he, that seems to be like a key thing that he uh, is, is uh, dealing with. And I mean, Lord knows I am nowhere near to a major league infielder <laughs> and I, I'm sure the idea of just like even, you know, transferring a ball, I'd like to look at a ball and, and I might even miss the transfer, but you know, he's doing this blind, trying to fire a strike to first base or, you know, get it over to second to start a double play. So I, you know, I get that it's challenging. Um, it, it's a, it's an environment that he's maybe not completely ready for yet, but at the same time, man, like um, I, I just hope that he's like, you know, learning and, and trying and picking up things uh, just so that, you know, like we're able to kind of, avoid situations like that we had where you didn't was wasn't able to transfer it well ended up extended the inning um and then lo and behold you know a three-run homer after that right and this goes back to the conversation we had last week about you know kepler versus walner larnick right yep. where mm-hmm. if polanco's healthy he should be playing second base he should be there every day he's a good fielder he's a good hitter he should be there but without polanco and it sounds like they may be without him for a little bit here um, you know, your options at that point, it's Willie Castro, it's Kyle Farmer, and it's Julian. And so when you're looking at that, you have probably better defense with Farmer or Castro, but the ceiling of what Julian can provide on the offensive side is way above anything that Farmer or Castro can do. And so because of that, you know, that that's another thing where like Kepler for Walner, I'm okay making that change where mm-hmm. With the offense struggling as much as it is, you just get your best bats in the lineup and hope you can figure it out. Now, obviously, when you lose by one run and that uh, missed transfer basically directly leads to the Chapman three-run home run, mm-hmm. it hurts a lot more. But again, I-, I think I'm okay with that in a random game here in the beginning of June rather than just falling completely out of it because you can't hit. Right. Exactly. Well, the bats, uh, they did do some, some work. They came alive for four runs in the first inning. Uh, they were facing blue Jays ace, Kevin Gaussman, who in his last appearance against the twins had labored through 5.1, uh, innings, giving up only one run. But the big thing about that game was just, you know, the twins kept on getting to him, you know, hits here and there. They just couldn't get any runs across the board. And so he ended up, ended up pitching 5.1. Well, in this one, they actually did even better against him because they got four runs in the, in the first. Um, and I think he was eventually out in the fifth inning in this game. Uh, fun story here, of course, too, was Donovan Solano with his first homer of the season. Uh, and I think Dalton Varsho has no desire to play the twins anymore. <laughs> like the man's got to be like, Oh goodness. Another fly ball that's coming my way. <laughs> like, am I going to rob this Homer or not? And, uh, he he's been, uh, it's been kind of funny 
uh, just having to having to deal with having to see that from the from the opposite team's point of view. Yeah, th- this was the fourth chance he had to steal a homer, like legitimate chance to steal yeah. a homer. Because I think yesterday the Larnick homer, he also was pretty he close also had to a grabbing try. that yep. one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so he just so close to grabbing that one. And uh, Aaron Gleeman of the Athletic tweeted afterwards: uh, <laughs> yeah. If you think the Twins' offense is bad now, just imagine how bad it would be if Dalton Varsho had slightly longer arms. Right. <laughs> Yeah, he would have robbed four homers from one team in the season, which would have been uh, pretty impressive. Yeah, it's just it's just crazy. And again, we talked about this last time too, but it's another thing where if Kevin Kiermeyer is out there instead of Dalton Varsha, this time with a different injury, most yeah. likely uh, those are not home runs, or at least one of them he pulls back. You know, yeah. and so mm-hmm. uh, it's just a crazy confluence of things that Varsha was out there for four different games, had four chances to rob home runs, yeah. and didn't get any of them. Right. Exactly. Uh, well, the, the main story here was probably the relievers. Um, they had kind of just dicey moments for every single one that was in the game. Uh, both Jackson and Moran were dealing with runners in scoring position, but they were ultimately able to hold and not get any runs across. Um, of course, then because of how depleted the bullpen was, you know, they, they basically were left to, we have Emilia Pagan and we have, uh, and uh, Jorge Lopez left to finish out the eighth and ninth. Brock Stewart essentially was unavailable. Duran was definitely unavailable. Um, and so that that's where your only options were. Pagan came out in the eighth, facing the seventh, eighth, ninth hitter with a two-run lead. So, you know, probably medium leverage. I don't know if I'd call it a high leverage situation just because the quality of the bats facing him weren't the highest. Yeah. Uh, but promptly gave up two singles. And then Kevin Biggio, of all people, who is currently batting 182, I believe, uh, ended up uh, taking him for a three-run homer, and that is all she wrote. Yeah, that is Kevin Biggio's second game-winning home run against the Twins this year. So. Yeah, jeez. <laughs> um, yeah, it's – everybody gets frustrated with Pagan. In this case, it's very justified to get frustrated with Pagan. It's not necessarily his fault, though. Everybody knows what he is. The Twins know what he is. The Twins literally had no other options, and I think – they might have let him go back out there for the ninth if he was able to get through there as well because I don't think they wanted to go to Jorge Lopez. Um, it, but yeah, because of where the bullpen was at, I think they really needed and wanted uh, Louis Varlin to go at least six, maybe even seven. With yeah. And with the type of pitcher that he is, that's realistic, right? He throws strikes. He doesn't walk guys. He always mm-hmm. keeps the pitch count pretty low. But today where he was struggling with that a bit, um, you know, led to the Twins having to turn to their bullpen early, which meant – you know, we made it to the eighth inning because they used Moran and Jax, probably the two best relievers that were available that day. Mm-hmm. And then we're stuck with Pagan, Josh Winder, and Jorge Lopez, none of which I think I would have trusted. And Pagan at least had had a good month before this. And mm-hmm. so it's just, it's your monthly Pagan blow up. It's scheduled. He was due for it. <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah, that, I mean, that is kind of the thing with relievers where you, you don't remember the good performances, but you definitely remember the bad ones. Um, yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's tough, it's kind of interesting here, too. Um, uh, the one matchup I thought that was really fascinating was Louis Varland versus George Springer, because uh, Springer managed to get two walks, which were the only walks that Varland issued, and then also a hit. So he went basically three, I mean, essentially got on base every single time he faced Farland, but that mm-hmm. made things more difficult because it's like George Springer is batting leadoff. Oh, great. You have got a, got a, you've got a guy in base and now Bichette Guerrero and Matt Chapman are about to come up. And <laughs> yeah, you know, that that's how it leads to like a three run Matt Chapman Homer. Uh, just, you know, Bo Bichette for some reason, just always turns it on against the twins. He looked good in this series as well. Um, 
but yeah, it's just kind of unfortunate that it all that's that's how it all culminates here, right? Like one move in game one, which granted I'm not going to disagree with. I think it was the right thing to go with two innings for Duran, but yeah. that ends up impacting how the rest of the games in in the series go. Yeah, and it's one where it would have been really nice to have Caleb Thielbar, right? Where yes. without yeah. him, the Twins are just very clearly an arm short. Where especially where you have three guys on the roster right now in Winder, Lopez, and Pagan, who don't necessarily want to go to in high or even medium leverage situations for the mm-hmm. most part. And so without that other arm in there, you're just really in a tough spot. And I mean, you could even make the argument as well that, you know, is Jose De Leon really somebody you want in a high leverage spot? Yeah. Uh, but for the most part, I, I do feel like we need to give the bullpen some credit because where the offense has struggled, they've actually been pretty good up until this game. You know, we hadn't really had any big blowups like this outside of Jorge Lopez. And so Brock Stewart has been dominant. Yeah. Uh, Giovanni Moran has been really good. And so it's a tough situation. They're still an arm short. I still think they'll pick up one or two at the deadline. But mm-hmm. for today, you know, again, it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. One interesting tidbit here, too, was um, on the radio broadcast they were talking about um, Griffin Jacks, who had given a pregame interview about you know what his pitch mix is looking like and uh he was kind of saying how he was realizing that it's he's a little bit too predictable with his slider fastball combo so he's been mixing in a couple other pitches i believe he has like the the change up i think um that he will occasionally use um and so griffin jacks i think he uh, he was a guy where you know coming into the season we we're all very high on you know he was the essentially the the second setup man behind jorge lopez then he had a couple duds, you know, he was giving up homers left and right. Um, and so kind of dropped down a little bit on the leverage sort of totem pole. Uh, but he's been impressive the past couple yeah. past couple games. And I think it's encouraging to see that he's he's uh, developing and, and, you know, trying to figure out what's working for him and getting guys out because his stuff is nasty. Um, it's just, you know, can it culminate into a guy who you can trust and, you know, he's he's currently what, seven, seven straight games now, I believe. Without giving, uh, up a run. without giving up a, yeah. a run or a hit so there you uh, go yeah it's actually nine straight without giving up a run it's it's seven without a hit so really really solid um outing from from jacks and um glad to see you know that there's still bright spots in this bullpen despite yeah. all the all the anger that we might have stored up about a couple couple guys on that definitely and that's what it always was with Jax, which was why it was frustrating, right? The stuff was always there. The slider is always one of the top like stuff plus pitches yeah. on almost any leaderboard you look at. And so that that's what made it exceptionally frustrating when he was giving up runs was you have this great pitch. You just got to be a little bit less predictable with it. And he's really done that. I've noticed especially some hitters where they're clearly sitting on the slider. Mm-hmm. He just pumps a fastball right in there and yeah. they just completely caught off guard, which is good. Just changing up the patterns, adding a few different pitches and, uh, you know, I think that speaks a lot to Griffin Jacks and his coachability, his adaptability here of being willing to change and grow as the season goes. Yeah. Apparently he's added like a, he's, he's been throwing a change up a sinker and a cutter uh, at, at different various times throughout this season. So yeah, mixing up the, he has, a, he has a starter's arsenal, right? That, that was the yep. thing about Jacks. And so yes, the slider is really good, but if he, he's mixing in some other pitches, confusing the batters, makes him much more valuable as a, as a reliever. Yeah, definitely. Okay, let's take another short break, and then we'll be back to talk about the AL Central and a few other topics before we wrap up. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. 
It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, and we're back. So the big story for this week, we talked about it a little bit already, is just the AL Central in general and how horrible it's been. You know, we're over two months into the season. Currently, there is no winning teams. Uh, Two days ago, every team was below 500. And so it's really just been the poverty of poverty divisions. The NL Central was right with them, but I think there's some more talent up at the top there with the Brewers and the Cardinals than any team here in the Central has. So um, again, no winning teams right now for at least one day. Everybody was under 500. The good news is, at least if you're looking at the division as a whole, is teams are starting to turn it around a little bit. The Twins have started to score more. Uh, in the series against the Blue Jays. Hopefully that's a trend that keeps up. And then the Guardians as well, where they have been getting some uh, big performances from Jose Ramirez and Josh Naylor especially, which has really helped turn their offense around and start to score. Unfortunately for them, it's kind of come at a time where the pitching has blown up a bit. Uh, they were playing the Astros, so it's always tough to play the Astros. But still, um, it looks like the Twins and the Guardians are finally starting to separate themselves from the pack, you would hope. But like John mentioned to start the podcast, the White Sox and the Tigers somehow are still right there. So John, what are your overall thoughts on the division for this point of the season? I want to say I'm surprised, <laughs> but I'm not. <laughs> like, um, I, I think maybe the one thing I was surprised about was how bad the the White Sox were at the beginning of the season. Um, I mean, the kind of the joke was Tony La Russa was like the reason they were terrible. And then so they bring in, they bring in a new manager in, in Griefel. And then you're like, oh, maybe they'll fix things. And then turns out like it doesn't really fix things because Luis Roberts like kind of a head case and Eloy Jimenez like can't stay healthy regardless. Um, and yeah, that so the White Sox just aren't doing maybe as hot as everyone was expecting them to. Cleveland being this bad is actually a little surprising. Yeah. Um, you know, we talked about it last last uh, last episode, but it's this idea that you know the Twins are kind of a feast or famine sort of offense and the guardians are more kind of like, Hey, let's just, you know, make contact. And, um, you know, let's, let's hope that that gets us runs and that strategy hasn't been working either. Um, uh, but they're, they're still a dangerous team. You know, they're only a game and a half behind, you know, last year, the twins built up a really big lead in the division and they were still able to overtake us. Eventually Joe Ram just had a three Homer game last, last week. And, uh, when he's on, like, it's scary. Like he is, he's, you know, one of the best players in baseball. So, to me, to me at least, it's exciting that things are uh, the things are doing the things are interesting in the AL Central. At least, you know, it, it doesn't feel boring. Uh, it's just, of course, a little annoying that uh, the Twins can't pull away uh, in in this uh, in this division. The only nice thing, though, is that in our next two or next four series, uh, we get to play Detroit in seven games of those next four series. So. Here's to hoping that uh, that gives us maybe a little bit of a boost in the division. Yeah, I think Detroit currently has like an entire starting rotation on the injured list. So um, that, that should help the offense look a little bit better. Yeah, it's it's kind of unfortunate. Like, I mean, that team just wasn't built very well. Um, yeah. But also having your marquee players like Riley Green and Eduardo Rodriguez out um, isn't fun. Javi Baez is a shell of his former self. Um Although maybe I think maybe we were expecting Javi Bias to be this bad, yeah, <laughs> and it's he's definitely. actually proving it now. So, um, 
yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see how this all shakes out because it it feels like it's just a bunch of teams trying to be less bad than each other. It's not yeah. a bunch of teams trying to be better. It's just who can suck less. Definitely. It, it's interesting too because I feel like the marquee players in the division have still kind of been that, right? Like yeah. outside of Carlos Correa, um, Jose Ramirez has been really good. Shane Bieber has been really good. Tristan McKenzie has only been back for two starts, but he's been really good. Mm-hmm. For Detroit, you know, if you could call Eduardo Rodriguez a marquee player, I think they would like him to be. He very much was that before he – you know, apparently like blew up a tendon in his finger. Uh, Javi Baez hasn't been as good as they would have liked, but um, Salvador Perez is still hitting uh, on the White Sox. Their pitchers are still pitching really well. Cease has taken a predictable step back, but Luis Robert has emerged as a superstar when he Mm -hmm. looks like he wants to be on a field. Um, And so it's very interesting that you have these individual performances that have still been very, very good, pretty much what you have expected, but almost on every single team, everything around those superstars has taken a huge step back. Uh, we talked about this with Cleveland's offense before, where they were the only player in their regular starting lineup with an OPS over 700 was Jose Ramirez. Um, I think that's changed a little bit now as Josh Naylor and a few other guys have gotten going. Um, but yeah, the, then on the White Sox side, Dylan Cease, you know, the walks are scoring this year, essentially. And yeah. so he, he's still been good, but he hasn't been Cy Young contender good. Lucas Giolito and Lance Lynn, uh, Julio has been better. Lynn has been worse. And so that's kind of like reversed course. And yeah, it's just been really interesting that for teams that have all the talent, they just haven't really been able to put it together. I would not say that say the Red Sox are significantly more talented team than the twins or the white Sox even. And yet, you know, they most likely at the end of the day will have a better record than both of them. And so I I think, sorry, go ahead. Like you look at this white Sox roster, like, Tim Anderson's leading off. He's a, you know, really solid, like, shortstop. Maybe more well-known for his defense than his offense, but, I mean, he's not... Has he hit a home run yet? I don't think he's hit a home run yet. Yeah. Andrew Benatendi, who, I mean, obviously, maybe the the sky was maybe a little too high for him when the initial projections came out when he started out in Boston, but he's still a guy who, you know, could be a 15-15 guy in terms of homers and stolen bases, but he's been underperforming. Luis Robert Jr., we, we mentioned him. It, it just doesn't matter if he wants to play and he's right. healthy. You know, he's he's the White Sox version of uh, Buxton, uh, Buxton, but with a worse attitude. Um, Eloy Jimenez can't can't stay healthy. Yohan Makata kind of isn't the same boat, can't stay healthy. Yeah, Andrew Vaughn, they've been hoping, could break out, and he's not, essentially. He's not that power-hitting first baseman that everyone was expecting him to be. Like, he's just very inconsistent. Um, Osmani Grandal is like a bit older now. He's not like the average king that he used to be. And then, you know, you wrap it out with Gavin Sheets and Elvis Andrews, who aren't doing anything to really write home about. That's your that's your eighth and ninth hitter. You know, it's it's not like they're supposed to be superstars. So look at that team, you know, like basically one through six. It's all these guys who you'd expect to like be quality players, you know, contributing to a winning team. Uh, and yet these guys uh, somehow find themselves with a losing record. Yeah, and for the White Sox especially, they have a lot of pieces, like I was saying. And so it puts them in an interesting position where if you look at the team's history, you look at where they're at right now, this is pretty much the point where a team decides, do we blow it up or do we run it back and try to get better? Mm -hmm. And I think 
for the White Sox, if they were in any other division, they would be firmly in the blow it up territory, right? The yeah. White Sox or the Red Sox are pretty much saying the same thing in the AL East right now, where it's like, okay, we're an average team, but average isn't good enough to compete in this division. And so right. most likely come the trade deadline, they're going to be sellers. Mm-hmm. The White Sox have a lot of very interesting, intriguing guys, including Cease, Giolito, Lynn, uh, Eloy Jimenez. His name's been bounced around a little bit. I don't think they would trade Robert at this point, but... Uh, Tim Anderson uh, has been linked with the Dodgers pretty much since Trey Turner signed with the Phillies. Mm-hmm. And so they they have all these pieces where if they decide to blow it up, they could get a lot of really good prospects and guys that could help them create the next version of the White Sox, right? Kind of like they did when they traded off uh, Chris Sale and Adam Eaton and those guys to get uh, Giolito and Moncada and, you know, the beginnings of this core that they have now. So, because the AL Central is so garbage, it's almost bad for the White Sox long term because they're going to talk themselves into, hey, maybe we can win this division. Maybe they can. But I think for most teams, your end goal isn't to win the division, it's to win the World Series. And so all every one of these teams is going to have to take a step back and say, okay, we probably can win the division. That's something realistic this season. But is there any chance that we can win the World Series? And you know, then you'll get team people push back on you and say, oh, 2019 Nats, you just have to get in there. 2021 Braves, just got to get in there and anything can happen. But yeah. that that's definitely true. But those are definitely, you know, anomalies. They're, they're not the regular. Yeah. And the weird thing here for the Twins is that they actually have the, like the easiest strength of schedule for the rest of the season. Um, obviously because they face a lot of AL central teams, but it's also because they've actually faced a lot of tough division uh, out of division opponents as well. Yeah. Um, I'm just looking at who the white Sox have to face uh, for basically the next, what is this eight series? And it's Dodgers, Seattle, Texas, Boston angels. They get a little reprieve in Oakland and it's Toronto, and then St. Louis, like they're they might legitimately like win six to ten games over the next what is that twenty four twenty five yeah uh and that could sink them into being right. you know, what four and a half games back from the Twins to being now they're they're ten and that you know they're ten they're fifteen games back and um. And the Twins, you know, can easily capitalize, like I said, in the next four series, two of them are against Detroit. Like they're yeah. going to hopefully they take a, a good chunk of those games. And um, it's it's kind of funny that, you know, we actually managed to do decently well against out of division opponents. Yeah. And now we get rewarded by facing the worst teams in, in the league who happen to be in our division. Yeah, the uh, the Twins, you know, they're, they're done with the Yankees. They're done with the Blue Jays. They're done with the Dodgers. They're done with the Astros. Right. And so. They, they've had a tougher schedule here early on. And part of that's the balanced schedule. You just play more teams. We don't get to play the Royals, you know, 21 times or whatever, like we did last year. Mm-hmm. And so that's going to change things as well. But like you were saying, these other teams, they haven't really had to go through that gauntlet yet. And the, the schedule in general, there's not going to be these same soft spots that there's been in the past because of the balanced schedule. But at least the top of the top, you know, they have to play the Rays again. Um, I think they still have to play the Rangers, but for the most part, I think it's going to be a lot easier for the Twins um, rather than the other teams in the division. Right. Um, and, and it's uh, – I was just looking at Cleveland. Like, theirs is a little bit easier, but they still – you know, they face San Diego. We already face San Diego, so we don't have to right. worry about that. You know, they're they're facing the Cubs. We've already faced the Cubs. Uh, we both face Atlanta in the next uh, two months. Oh, boy. 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so there's still a lot of you know opportunities here for the Twins to lose games, but I think it's it's um, the the other teams in our division are are going to have uh, more tougher schedules than that we do. All right, and last thing here before we wrap up is our weekly injury segment. We got to get the sponsored or something to reach out to Avera or some other hospital because <laughs> th- this uh, list is never ending. It seems like every week there's something new. Yeah, uh, or really, it's the same players. It's just something new with those same. Players. Yeah, that's true. Sa- <laughs> same guys going off and on. So uh, since we last spoke, we talked about uh, Joey Gallo and Byron Buxton and their um, injuries. We didn't know if they're going to be on the injured list. They both were placed on the injured list. Uh, retroactive to June 3rd, which means they're eligible to return Tuesday. Uh, we'll see with each of them. Gallo's been playing uh, down at the Saints. It seems like pretty much he's been healthy, ready to go. Um, so I imagine he'll be in the lineup on Tuesday. Buxton, we'll see. We haven't really gotten any updates, but for the most part, it sounded like, you know, it's mostly just a pain management thing. So if he feels like he can go, if he can swing, then he'll be in the lineup on Tuesday as well. With those, the Twins will have to make a decision on the roster, assuming they both come back on Tuesday. That will be one of them. Garlic will be optioned down. That would will be easy. For the other one, they'll basically have to make the decision on uh, Larnick. Is, do they keep Larnick on the roster? Do they maybe send Willie Castro down? Um, I don't think they would you know, release Donovan Solano or anything like that. Who knows? Maybe there'll be somebody else with a phantom injury that needs to go on the injured list, like tends to happen uh, when these decisions need to be made. But if they're going to do that, is it Max Kepler? Maybe his, his days are numbered. And so um, th- they will have to make a decision. Most likely the twins being the twins, they don't want to give up any assets. It'll just be Larnick option back down. I don't think they should do that. Uh, but, but John, what do you think will happen? Uh, assuming they're both, they both return on Tuesday. Yeah, it's probably Larnick. Um, just because you're going to have an issue where you have four players for three spots, right? You'll have Larnick, Kepler, Kirilov, and um, and Gallo all trying to play either right field, left field, or first base, right? Um, the DH spot being open has been nice. Yeah. Uh, so... Yeah, but you know, once Buxton comes back, he's immediately going to slot into that spot, and so you're already sending Garlic down. You know, it's are you going to send Willie Castro down, who has a lot of you know flexibility in this roster as a, a switch hitter and a guy who can play infield and outfield and steal some bases and steal some bases? Yeah, he's got the speed. I mean, he yeah. got put in today's game because of his legs. Um, and I, Solano, I think is has been contributing enough yeah. where to me it doesn't make sense to just DFA him. Um, and I think because of that option that Larnick has, it, it's, it's just the twins way. They're just going to send him down. Um, yeah. And uh, it'll be unfortunate because Max Kepler is just not really contributing in a, in a big fashion on the offense. And um, I mean, that's not to say that Larnick has been like lights out either. But uh, to me, it just makes more sense to, to have Larnick on this yeah. roster than Kepler. L- Larnick's floor is Kepler's ceiling, it seems like. You know, where has Larnick been bad? Yeah, but – or has Kepler been bad? Yeah, but Larnick has been better, I think, still. And granted, Kepler just hasn't really had anything go his way. People love to point out like, oh, the, the stat cast numbers look good with Kepler. Stat cast numbers always look good with Kepler because he puts the ball in play. The problem is, is he puts the ball in play – 
as we saw multiple times today, grounds out to second, pops up to second, weak fly balls to left. And so there, there's just not much, I think, Kepler offers at this point. But you're probably right. They have multiple chances to move on from Kepler. They haven't yet. And so he's going to be, unfortunately, I think the starting right fielder still uh, until things get worse. That, Like I said before, that home run might have bought him another couple weeks on the roster. So, Yeah, I mean, his fly ball rate's super super high which you know some people love he grounds he he hits a lot of crowners though uh his babip is still atrocious at 198 um, but again for for kepler it's always bad like he never has a good babip because he makes weak contact right i mean his babip last year was 249 but that that i mean that's still below that's still average not, yeah that's still not very he's, good. he's just always been a below average babip uh babip guy um and so yeah at some point it's not luck it's just the way you hit the ball um yeah. and yeah i there was one stat that i wish someone had available um is how many hard contact balls do you hit just into the ground uh because if you guys one of the interesting things about this was christian yelich uh who you know we all know mvp yep. candidate and now with the now with the brewers and then the past two years for him he's been absolute garbage uh, well, garbage is maybe a little too severe return. He's, he's just he's been not an been average good. player playing on a superstar salary. Exactly. Yeah. And part of the thing with him was, hey, look at his advanced metrics. He's hitting the ball hard. You know, like he should be having a lot more hits. The problem is he was hitting the ball hard straight into the ground. Right. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if you're smoking it and then it just bounces off the you know infield dirt and into a, 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 the glove. Like you have to hit your hard hits somewhere besides just the ground and that that tends to be the issue i think with kepler um or just you know just harmless fly balls so yeah and here's the other thing i'm sure if the twins uh released him he'd be picked up off of waivers by somebody and he would hit three home runs next week no yeah but i i still think it would be the right decision and so it is what it is most likely trevor larnick sorry tough luck but we'll see. I would be very surprised if it's anything else, but it'll at least kind of finally bring decision day around where at this point, if the twins still decide to keep Max Kepler on the roster, then I think you can start criticizing the, the front office for how they're handling things. Yeah. Um, I, just the numbers, just, man, they just don't look good. Bad. I mean, Larnick is batting 207, which is not good. Kepler is batting 197. <laughs> like, <laughs> And they have about the same number of plate appearances. Larnick's got 169. Kepler's got 153. Like they, Larnick has had every chance to to show what he's capable of doing in the same number of at bats that that Kepler has, and he's doing yeah. a little bit better. And I and I can and I'll just keep hammering home. I still think this is like the bad version of Trevor Larnick. We're seeing him crush AAA pitching. We've seen him go through stretches at the major league level where he crushes major league pitching. Yeah, and so versus Kepler, maybe there's a little bit more for him to come up on. Larnick, he's still young. He's still improving. There's still a lot more he can do versus Kepler having just three bad, bad years all in a row, not getting any better. Yeah. The other thing, too, is um, Larnick has a better walk rate than Kepler. Yeah. And I think that's important because for the longest time, you know, we were batting Kepler leadoff. But if he doesn't get on base, what's the point, right? Definitely. Um, and so he's he's since been, you know, out of that, situation they haven't been banning him lead off recently um and so it, it's just better to have someone who gets on base consistently and he's he's struggling with his walk rate this year it's it's kind of it maybe maybe that's a whole twin sort of philosophy thing where 
Kepler's striking out more this season and walking less. Maybe that's just a thing that he's trying out, but um, it doesn't help the team when you're just not yeah. getting on base. I, I have no stats to back this up, but it does seem like he's been looking at a lot of third strikes, hmm. just watching him play, but who knows? Um, okay, next injury we have on the list. Jorge Polanco, he was placed on the injured list earlier this week with a hamstring strain, uh, trying to beat out a grounder that deflected off of the pitcher and then off of an umpire uh, and then turned into a ground out anyway. Um, it sounds like this is something that may be a little bit longer, especially since he just had the hamstring strain. He's had the knee issues to start the season. And so they may just be looking to give him a good amount of rest here and try to get him back 100% healthy instead of pushing him, um, which if Julian is performing is probably the right call anyway. So it'll be a good chance for him, like we mentioned earlier. Um, but obviously, you know, the best version of the Twins has Jorge Polanco in the lineup every day. So hopefully he gets back healthy soon. Yeah, 104 WRC plus, slugging 450. Like he he's had five homers in 30 games. So yeah. He clearly is a major contributor to this team, and it yeah it's gonna it's a little tough that he's not not a part of it. Yeah, like Kepler, the Twins have I think it's a ten million option, ten million dollar option on Polanco next year. Yeah, and so, so um, it'll be interesting to see the decision they make there. Where when he's played, he's been productive, but the last two years, all of a sudden, he's had he's just been plagued with injury issues, and so mm-hmm. I think that'll show a lot. One, how they feel about Julian if they feel like he can replace his production, and two. Uh, probably a little bit how they feel about Buxton as well. If they feel like Buxton's going to be back in the field quite a bit, well, then you can have both Julian and Polanco in the lineup every day. Uh, without that, who knows? Um, next injury, Caleb Thielbar, who we also already mentioned, he re-injured his oblique. He's back on the injured list. Um, I didn't really get any sense from any of the reports of how serious this was, if this was you know a big step back, if this was just, oh, you know, he, he just can't throw um, how he wants to. I did notice the velo was a little bit down and, and I think he had two appearances uh, coming back off the injured list. The bullpen just looks a lot worse without him where you have, again, Josh Winder back up there. That's kind of that rotating last spot that'll go between Winder, uh, you know, probably Enriquez, Simeon Woods, Richardson, uh, Brent Hedrick. There'll be a lot of guys that kind of rotate through that spot, especially with Jose De Leon pitching pretty well and establishing himself in the bullpen uh, since he got basically called up to fill that spot. Yeah, um, just less options because again he was you know one of two lefties and now Moran's the only lefty. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's a little worrying when you re-injure an oblique, um, just because oblique injuries take a while to come back from anyways. And you know he yeah. was out for a couple weeks with this injury, so um, getting re-injured again, you know, there's a, I think there's a good chance we don't see him until you know mid July. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right, especially for pitchers and somebody like Thielbar who's a little bit older, maybe taking a little bit of time. But that's, you know, those oblique injuries, it makes it really hard to plant and really get that uh, velocity going, which, you know, Kepler isn't, you know, the high fastball type of guy. But still, if the injury makes his fastball go from 94, 95 to 90, 91, that, that's a pretty big difference. Um, one guy who could fill that last bullpen spot, potentially, maybe, is Kenta Maeda. Uh, he has been on a rehab assignment in St. Paul. I do not have off the top of my head here when he's eligible to come back, but I think he's been rehabbing for about two weeks, and so he has about two weeks left. Um, he's pitched four innings. Uh, today he pitched four innings, gave up no run, struck out five. Uh, he was sitting 90.5 with the fastball, hit 91 and a half. 
uh, which is a little bit of a step up from where he was before. You're sitting more around like 89 and a half. So, you know, that getting a little bit more of the velocity there for Maeda. Again, like Thielbar, he's not a guy who relies very strongly on that fastball, but uh, that mile an hour or two can be the difference between, you know, the version we saw at the very beginning of the year when he was healthy and rested and the version we saw in his last couple starts. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting what the Twins decide to do with, with Maeda, and we, we've talked ad nauseum about that. Yeah. Um, I, you know, at this point, it's just going to be waiting to see what happens. Um, you know, Varlin has shown that he's a pretty capable pitcher, but if Maeda is looking like, you know, he's able to dominate or not, you know, not dominate, but, you know, contribute in a effective way, um, it's going to yeah be crucial to see what the Twins do here. Uh, yeah, it. I think they're doing the right thing in that they're just taking the maximum rehab assignment. Basically, it's a 30-day AAA option for him that you can do without having to put him through waivers. And because of that, you know, they're waiting to see, will somebody else get injured? Does something else happen? If nothing happens, I still think the Twins are going to have to put him in the bullpen. And I think that could be better for him, better for the Twins. Uh, and I think he really could be a good, reliable option out of the bullpen where we've seen him that first time through the order look really, really strong, where he ran into issues you know, outside of the injuries were second, third time through the order. Yeah, I, I like I don't know if I'd want to see a piggyback sort of thing here with Maeda and Varland, but um, eh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, who knows? Um, another rehab update here uh hilberto celestino so he played four games uh in i think it was low a where he was playing before and had a typical hilberto celestino performance which is that he hit 250 and didn't take any walks and didn't hit for any power um <laughs> but it was four games coming off of injury so it's probably not much of anything uh he played he just moved up to saint paul he's starting in his first game today for them hitting second right in front of joey gallo playing center field um we, we talked about this one before as well, but if the Twins have their way. He probably won't see any major league action this year. Uh, most likely he will at some point because Michael A. Taylor just physically can't play every single game all season, I don't think. <laughs> he did strike out five times in 12 point appearances. So. At uh, low A. At so. low A. So, you know, everything's <laughs> looking up for, for him. Oh, you know? uh, yeah. But again, it's his first games coming off of a long injury that kept him out. And so... Um, he's going to be a little bit rusty. It's not the end of the world. Uh, and, and I think the hope is, again, he's a fixture in the St. Paul Saints lineup this year. Uh, and then the final injury update is Chris Paddock. We got our first update from him basically since last year, which is that like Kenta Maeda last year, they're hoping to have him return sometime in September, most likely pitching out of the bullpen. Could just be another one of those arms for a long relief slot, especially in September where you have – um, the extra pitcher you can have on the roster roster could be a good fit for Paddock as he gets back into shape and starts pitching a little bit more. Um, but like Maeda last year, if the Twins do find themselves out of it, I would imagine they just shut him down and hold off till 2024. Yeah, I have nothing to add on Chris <laughs> Like I honestly was just not a big fan of the trade, and so. I like I like Chris Paddock. I think he's going to be a good, solid, reliable starter. You never know coming off of the second Tommy Johns. That's always kind of the big unknowns. With the first one, there's a pretty good history of guys coming back. The second one uh, is where there's a lot more questions, which is why um, if you follow other teams around the league, there's a lot of concern about Jacob DeGrom coming off of his uh, second Tommy Johns that he's going to have uh, here in the next week or so. So Yeah, it's just that Chris Paddock had like a 5.2 ERA. So it's just... <laughs> Nothing. It's never looking up. He had four bad. good starts, though, before the Tommy John surgery. Yeah, so I that's guess. something. 
Um, all right. Quick look ahead to next week. So the Twins have an off day tomorrow, which given all the foul balls, the Twins seemingly hit off themselves in this game today. Oh. Uh, it was probably good to heal up those bumps and bruises. It was uh, Larnick hit one, uh, Lewis hit one. Who was, I think, uh, oh, Julian was the other one. They just hit foul balls right off their legs. And uh, normally I'm not that concerned about that, but after Nick Gordon just shattering uh, his shin, I'm very concerned about it. Yeah, so, Royce apparently was just in a lot of pain, but he finished the at-bat, which was good. He finished the at-bat, he finished out the game, so it seems like there's no long-term uh, concern, but who knows, maybe come uh, come Tuesday, one of the roster moves will be Royce Lewis is on the injured list, but we certainly hope not because he has been very good and very exciting to watch. Um, after that off day, they'll have two against the Brewers and four against Detroit. The Brewers are very similar to the Twins in that they have the pitching. They cannot hit to save their lives. Uh, Willie Adamas is hurt right now. He's probably their best hitter uh, in their lineup, and so not having him uh, will help the Twins out a little bit. And then for Detroit, they're Detroit. Somehow they're winning games. They have a negative run differential, though, so they're not that good. I would ex- hope and expect the Twins take at least three from Detroit. Sounds good to me. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Uh, let's uh, wrap things up there. If you like what you heard today, be sure to check out uh, some of my work at Twinkie Town uh, and all the other great writers that we have there. Uh, we follow every single game. I know we have a good satire piece going up tomorrow morning about some uh, little lessons the Twins may have learned on their road trip here. So that'll be a fun read. And then you can check out John at Pitcher List as well uh, for all of your fantasy baseball needs. John, what is your fantasy tip of the week for this week? Uh, pick up James Paxton. He's uh, got a decent streaming schedule this week. Interesting. I had James Paxton in one of my leagues, I think, two years ago, and he like pitched three games and was hurt the rest of the time. So. Yeah, that, that's why he's a streamer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Either that or just pick up some Reds hitters because uh, yeah, that team is looking hot. Yeah, it's, uh, it's always good to play in a great, great American small park. That's what they call it, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, it'll definitely make those guys look better. If Ellie De La Cruz is available in your league, I would also recommend picking up him because yeah, he should have picked him up yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, I know he's been picked up in most leagues at this point, but if yeah. he is, definitely grab him as soon as you can. Uh, if you want to follow us, uh, you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow John at the John Cut and myself at Ben Jones underscore five. And again, be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at Twins Talk Pod and subscribe on your podcast podcast platform of choice: Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get it. We will be there in your ears. Uh, we'll be back next week, and until then, go Twins.